How many of you brought your Bible? Will you hold up the Bible all over the building tonight? And I want to ask you to join me, if you will, back in the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, chapter 119 tonight, Psalms, chapter 119. And I'm going to ask you to grab your pen for just a moment, if you write your Bible. If you don't, don't grab your pen. But if you do write your Bible, I want to give you just a little outline here of a verse and uh, then I want to just use this verse more or less just to jump into our subject uh, for tonight. Psalms 119, 658 in the Old Schofield Bible. I think maybe the middle verse of the whole Bible is like in Psalms 117. So if you just shut your Bible and open in the middle, you should be somewhere uh, right about the book of Psalms. And uh, Psalms 119, and I'll read the verse in just a moment. Don't forget Sunday. Now, if it don't snow too much, we're going to have church Sunday. Boy, it's hard to believe we're calling for snow and it's like 60 degrees today. But I remember Christmas Eve, it was like that, and I got up the next morning. We had 17 inches of snow on the ground, not really, seven-tenths of an inch of snow on the ground. And so, uh, I don't know, but we'll have church Sunday and hope you'll pray for the services. And bring somebody with you. Bring somebody with you when you come to church, and let's ask the Lord to give us a good day this coming Sunday. All right, let's pray. And then we're going to jump in this together. Father, bless your word tonight, I pray. And Lord, I pray the Bible, the word, the word of God will speak to us tonight as we look at some more of these great Bible words that we're going through right now. So just bless uh, the, the message tonight. Not me, but honor the Bible, honor the word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read tonight Psalms 119. And many of you probably already have this verse memorized, but if you don't, this is a great verse for Bible memorization. So look at Psalms 119. Look at verse number 11. Here's a good reason to memorize the Bible. Tuck it away in your heart. I remember when I was uh, just started preaching, I started trying to commit a lot of verses to memory. And so I memorized the first eight chapters of the book of Matthew. And I memorized this verse by verse by verse going through those eight chapters. I don't know if I could quote them all today, but I could probably get in the ballpark. But tucking the Word of God away in your heart will help you. And here's what we read. Look at Psalms 119, verse 11. Thy Word. There it is, singular. Thy Word. But it also simply means the entire Word. Thy Word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Now, Psalms 119 is known in the Bible as the great chapter on the Word of God. There are, I believe, 187, is that right? There are 176 verses in this psalm, Psalms 119, by far the longest chapter in the Bible, but only three verses out of the 176 verses in this psalm do not mention the Word of God in some aspect. Now, it's not always called the Word in this chapter. Sometimes it's called the law. Sometimes it's called precepts. Sometimes it's called commandments. Sometimes it's called ways. But this whole chapter is about the Word of God. Boy, what a great chapter. But in this verse in particular, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I want you, if you keep up, if you want to write your Bible, write down this little outline for verse number 11. All right? Look at this. First of all, thy word. I want you to put right out beside of that, the seed. The seed. You know, the Bible is referred to as the seed. Uh, the Bible simply says over the book of so uh, Matthew 13, the seed is the Word. And we know throughout the Bible, the Word of God is compared to that of a seed. So number one, we have the seed. 
thy word. Next we have the soil. The soil. My heart. So we've got the seed, thy word. My heart, that's the soil. So we put the seed in the soil. You know something? The seed doesn't do any good unless it's in soil. Can I have an amen? I got some beans in my garage at home, some uh, Blue Lake green beans in a bag, and I'm sure they could do something if I'd put them in the soil, but they've never been in the soil. So guess what? They're not doing anybody any good. I mean, what are you going to do? Eat one of those things? Hard as a cinder block? Thy seed, heart, uh, a word, the, the soil, my heart, then this, the secret. The secret is, have I hid? So we got the soil, the seed, the secret. But then lastly, look again at this verse, we have the success. That I might not sin against thee. Now, if you're here tonight and say, boy, preacher, I just got to tell you, I have really been struggling with sin lately. I tell you, I just, I just feel myself, it's like a magnet. It's just drawing me towards sin, and I, find, I just find myself continually living in failure. Won't you try this? Hide the Word of God in your heart. Take the Word, the seed. Take the soil, your heart. Take the uh, secret, hide it, that the success is that I might not sin against thee. So we're talking about the Word of God. You know, for the last several weeks now, we've been in a series of messages on Wednesday nights on the subject of Bible words that every child of God should know. It's a series of sermons based upon great Bible words, words that every child of God should be familiar with as we live out these last days. You know, really, the Bible is an amazing book. It's an amazing book. There are three tools that God used to give us our Bibles. There's the tool of revelation. There's the tool of inspiration. And then there's the tool of illumination. And God used all three of those tools to give to us our Bible. Let me explain that to you a little further. What do I mean when I say revelation, inspiration, and illumination? How did that get us our Bible? Well, think with me about this. Let me make up a little imaginary story, and I'm going to illustrate those three tools that God used to give us the Word. First of all, think with me about this. You know, one of the great dreaded, deadly diseases of mankind today is cancer. You know, when you go to the doctor, if he even, even starts in the direction of the dreaded C word, it strikes a chord of fear in the heart of every person. But let's just say for the sake of my little story here tonight, say for the sake of there is this doctor. And after years and years of research and trials and experiments, he has discovered a cure for cancer. Now, it's a, it's a make-up story, so don't leave here like, man, oh, Brother Tim, tell me who that doctor is. I'm making this up. But he discovered a, a cure for cancer, not just, not just one kind of cancer, but he discovered a cure for every kind of cancer. Well, since you are his close friend, he calls you in, and he tells you about his discovery. He tells you just this, I have found a cure for all cancer. Let me tell you about my cure. So he begins to talk about his cure. You mix this drug with that drug and then this other drug. And what these drugs do together is they actually kill out all the cancerous cells in the human body. It's a cure. A cure has been found for cancer. He calls you in. He tells you about it. That's revelation. 
You would have never known that had that doctor not called you in and chosen to reveal that to you, to reveal what he has found. That's revelation. But he didn't stop there. He says, now, but since you're my friend, I want you to get the word out that I've found a cure for cancer. I'm going to use you as my agent to get the news out. You don't have to fear cancer anymore. There is a cure. So what I want to do is I want you to write down the medications that I've just told you about, how to administer them so that all cancer can be cured. But so understanding that you don't know a lot about drugs and medicine and administration of, 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 of drugs, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to stand right here and I'm going to tell you what to write down. Just so you don't mess it up, I'm going to just, I'm just going to kind of, you know, put these words out for you and you just write them down for me. That's inspiration. So we have revelation, it's revealed. We have inspiration, now we're writing it down, but he's telling us what to write. And then we have illumination. Now, illumination, this old doctor says, now, i got to tell you something. What I want you to do now is I want you to go out. I'm going to call around all the news networks and, and all the people that I know and in publicity, and I'm going to tell them what I've just revealed to you and what I've just told you to write down. But just so they'll know that it's really reliable and it's completely trustworthy, I'm going to, I'm going to call them and tell them that this is indeed true. That is illumination. Now get it like this. Revelation, that's from God to man. Inspiration, that's God to man to paper. Illumination, God to man. God, help me y'all. God to man on paper in the heart. And that's how we come to get our Bible. God used those three simple tools to get us the Word of God. Now, since we have the Bible, we're really meditating or thinking along in these days about some of the great words that are mentioned in the Bible. You see, we want to get a, we want to get a handle on some great words, which indeed, uh, in turn, are great truths in the Bible, so that we might be able to help other people to understand what the Bible really has to say. There's a verse in our New Testament that says this, over in 1 Peter 3, verse 15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, among the many things that that verse teaches us is simply this. We ought to be able to give an answer for what we believe. When we're questioned about, hey, why, why do you believe that? Where is your hope found in that? We ought to be able to fire back an answer to those people, not, not arrogantly, but uh, with meekness and fear. So we're thinking along the lines of some great Bible words. Now, so we'll have an outline to these words. We're using our English alphabet. A, B, C, so forth. Uh, we're all the way down tonight. We're all the way down to the letter G. Now, last week, we looked at some of the words in our Bible, great words in our Bible, that begin with the letter F. And remember some of those words we talked about last week, the word foreknowledge and the word flesh? How many of y'all got the flesh? Don't you wish you could flush the flesh? 
flesh. What about this? Faith. Boy, that's a great Bible word. And the word fruit. And so tonight, we come all the way down to the letter G. Now, I've got to tell you something. I've struggled with the letter G. You know, because most of the words in the Bible that begin with the letter G are either names of people or else they're names of places. We have two books in our Bible. Unlike the letter F, we have no books in our Bible that begin with the letter F. But in the, in the uh, books of our Bible, we have two books that begin with the letter G. We have the book of Genesis, and we also have the book of Galatians. There are several prominent places in our Bible that begin with the letter G. For instance, in the Old Testament, we have a place called Goshen. And Goshen was where the children of Israel were when they first went down into the land of Egypt. And they were there in the land of Goshen. There was Gaza, remember Samson, and Gaza, uh, Gaza. And then what about this? Galilee. Galilee. What about this one? Gadara. That's where that madman was from. What about this? Gethsemane. Hey, what about this one? Golgotha. All those are great places in the Bible that begin with the letter G. You know, last week I told you there were 3,237 named people that are in our Bible. You know, there's a lot of those people in our Bible, famous people that begin with the letter G in the Bible. For instance, what about Gideon? Hey, what about Goliath? What about Gehazi? Hey, what about Gomer? That's a woman. Yikes. Gomer. What about Gabriel? And what about a group of people we read a lot about in the New Testament called Gentiles? All of those are names of people that begin with the letter G. I really struggled, but have no fear. I have come up with enough to make a sermon out of tonight. Somebody said, man, I thought we was going to get out early. Let's look at some great words in our Bible that begin with the letter G. First of all, the first word that I thought of is this word right here, the word gospel. That's something to believe. The gospel. Aren't you glad? For the gospel. Now, there are four books in our New Testament that are known as the four gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those four, those four books in our New Testament form what we refer to as the historical part of our New Testament. From those four gospels, basically, we get the entire historical account of the life of Christ. Four gospels. But now we know there are not four gospels. We know there's only one gospel. And the word gospel appears 104 times in our Bible, and every time it's found in the Bible is in the New Testament. The gospel, the word gospel is a New Testament word. Can I tell you this? The word gospel simply means this, good news. The gospel then is God's good News. You know, we got a verse in our Old Testament that says this right here. It says this, As cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. 
You know, I got to thinking about people in our Bible. I don't go into a lot of them, but I got to think about especially one person that really got some good news one time. You remember Jacob had 12 boys, and one of those boys by the name of Joseph, you know, he sent Joseph to check on those other, well, 10 boys. Benjamin was too small. And he sent Joseph to check on them boys, those 10 boys. They were known to get into mischievousness. So he sent old Joseph to check on him, and that's the last time old Jacob seen Joseph. Well, them boys saw him coming. And they said, here comes daddy's little dreamer boy. And they were going to kill him. And had it not been for Reuben, they would have killed him. But Reuben suggested, they put him in a pit. Reuben suggested that they sell him into the hands of some Ishmaelites. But they only had one problem. What was they going to tell daddy that happened to Joseph? So they took that coat that Joseph had made, uh, made uh, for Joseph. And they got an animal and killed it. And took some blood and put it all over that coat. And they pulled it apart at the seams. And they took it home and said, daddy, we don't know what in the world has happened to your boy, but this is what all that we found of Joseph. Boy, can't you see old Jacob go into mourning. I'm telling you, he loved Joseph with all of his heart. And I can just see old Jacob's tears begin to course down his face because he said some evil beast hath devoured my son. And probably old Jacob, I don't know this to be the case, but being the sentimental kind that I am, I can see old Jacob take that coat, hanging in the back of his closet, and every once in a while, he'd just get it out, look at it, and remember the good days that he used to have with Joseph that he would never have again because he was gone. But there came a famine in the land of Canaan, and they had to go down to Egypt and buy corn, and you know the story. Eventually, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, hey, I'm Joseph, your brother. Doth my father yet live? Can you just imagine the look on the faces of them boys when they found out the one they thought they'd got rid of was indeed the prime minister of the land of Egypt? Can you see their jaws? And then Joseph says this, I want you to go home and I want you to tell my daddy that I'm alive. And them old boys went home, and they pulled up all them wagons from the land of Egypt, walked in and said, Daddy, we got to tell you a story. But Daddy, first of all, I want you to take your heart medicine, Daddy. Just sit down for just a minute. Rest yourself, Daddy. This is going to be a little bit hard to believe, but Daddy, I just want to tell you, we just come from Egypt. Joseph, your boy, is alive. You know what you'd call that? Good news. He didn't even believe it to start with. Remember, they finally convinced him by pulling the tent flat back and said, Daddy, look sitting in the driveway and all them wagons that we've been sitting over here has been sitting here from the land of Egypt. Daddy, your boy is alive. By the way, Daddy, he wants you to come over there where he's at. Boy, Jesus is saying to us tonight, you know y'all getting ready to come over here where I'm at. That's good news. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news for the world. That verse that I had them put up there a moment ago. You know what the gospel is? It's like, it's like, it's like cold, refreshing water for a dry, thirsty, parched soul. The gospel is God's good news. Now, let me tell you what the gospel is. The gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is this. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which you also have received, unless you believe wherein you stand. And it goes on to say this, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. Now, here we go. Here's the gospel. I delivered unto you first of all, how that, uh, that what I, which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. And that 
daddy was buried, and, but he didn't stay dead. But he rose again on the third day according to the... You know what that is? I just read you the gospel. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Savior, that is God's good news. The gospel. Let me tell you what the gospel does. It fulfills the scripture. That's the reason Paul kept saying this happened according to the scripture. I'll tell you what the gospel does. The gospel fulfills the promises that God made regarding the future of salvation in the person of his son throughout the entire Old Testament. Well, buddy, when the gospel fulfilled those promises, God was saying every sacrifice, every offering that was made in the Old Testament was pointing forward to the Lord Jesus and his death on Calvary. The gospel fulfills the scripture. Number two, the gospel forgives the sinner. Amen. He died not for his sins. He didn't have no sins. He was perfect. He never sinned. I mean, he didn't even get mad when they left the French fries out of his, out of his bag. He never sinned. Not one time did he sin. So he didn't die for his sins. Whose sins did he die for? He died for our sins. But aren't you glad that when Jesus died on the cross and shed his precious blood, he didn't spill it. It wasn't an accident. It was a divine appointment from Almighty God before the foundation of the world that Jesus would die on Calvary. And buddy, when he shed his blood, God was making a way for our sins to be forgiven. So it fulfills the scripture. It forgives, it forgives the sinner. Well, watch this. It all, oh, these are not even up there, is it? It also... Freshens the saint. You see, because he lived, because he lived. Y'all sing it with me. I can face Joe Biden. No matter what happens, because he lives, we can make it. Amen. Gospel. How many of y'all glad for the gospel? Gospel. There's another word that begins with the letter G. This is a great Bible word. That's the word grace. Now, if the gospel is something to believe, grace is something to receive. In fact, can I tell you this? Thinking about the gospel, thinking about the gospel, did you know what Paul called the gospel? Back in the book of Acts chapter 20 and verse number 24, Paul said it's this, the gospel of the grace of God. You know what the gospel, you know why we have the gospel? Because of the grace of God. The word grace is found 193 times in the Bible. In the New Testament, the word grace is the word charis. You ever heard of a charismatic? You ever heard of a charismatic? You ever heard of Benny Ann? A Joel Osteen? They're charismatics. But the word grace is charis. Charis. That's where we get our English name Karen from. And that is grace. Paul called the gospel the gospel of the grace of God. We're told in the Bible we're saved by grace. We are saved by the grace of God, God's grace. Some people say that grace gives us what we don't deserve. I've heard, you know, the acrostics, you've heard all that. But I want to demonstrate what grace is. I want to demonstrate the grace of God. As I come up here for just a second, this is grace. Now, y'all know, stand right there. Y'all know I have a son. His name is Seth. Seth's, uh, Seth's turned 33 years old. How old are you? 
All right. Brother Zach's 35. My son Seth's 33. And let's just say that one day, not that he would do this, but just for the sake of my story, that, that Zach gets a gun and kills my son Seth. Takes a gun, just guns him down in cold blood, leaves him laying there in the gutter, and goes, on, go, goes back home. Now, there's several ways I can deal with Zach about this. First of all, and probably the way I would choose, would be the route of vengeance. So what do I do? I find out where the scumbag lives. I get a gun. I go over to his house, ring his doorbell. When he comes to the door, I just... You know what that is? That's vengeance. I dealt with him in vengeance. Or there's a second way I could deal with him. I could deal with him in justice. So what I could do is he shot my boy, left him laying in the gutter for dead, and he did die. So I could deal with him in justice. So I could go over to his house, ring the doorbell, comes to the door, I pull the gun on him. I say, oh, it's come back, I ought to kill you. I ought to just blow you to smithereens right now. In fact, I think I... No, I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is... Uh, I'm calling the law. 911. Hey, hey, Brad, are you at church? There's a scumbag. I want you to come and arrest. I want to call, I'm going to haul him to court. I want him charged with first degree murder. I want him to pay for what he's done. Justice. Vengeance. Justice. God could have dealt with us. In, by the way, God had a son. We killed him. I said we. Don't look down. We all did. You say, oh man, that's the Jews and the Romans. I'm just as guilty as they were. We killed God's son. God could have dealt with us in vengeance. God could have said, you killed my boy. You're all dead. Vengeance. God could have said to us, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I ought to kill you, but I'm going to haul you into court, the great white throne. I'm going to pass judgment on y'all. Justice. But then suppose I did this. He kills my boy. I go to his house, ring his doorbell, comes to the door, scumbag, I ought to kill you. Go ahead and make my day. I ought to kill you, but you know what? I'm not going to kill you. You know what? I ought, to, I ought to call the law on you. I'm going to call the law. We're going to haul you. No, no, no. I'm not going to do that. I'll tell you what. Let's just forget the whole thing happened. I see you. Just forget the whole thing happened. You know what that is? That's mercy. Mercy. You see, mercy kept him from getting what he deserved. Let's just forget it. Let's forget the whole thing happened. We're done. That's mercy. We ought to got justice. We ought to got vengeance. But what do we get? God said, oh, just forget the whole thing happened. But he ain't done with us yet. Because now we come to the word grace. And here's what grace says. Dun, dun. Zach comes to the door. Hey, Zach, I'm Seth's dad. You killed my boy, scumbag. You know what I ought to do? I ought to just blow you into kingdom come. But I'm not going to do that. I ought to call the law, low down your hind end, killing my boy. But you know something? I ain't going to call the law. I tell you what, man. Let's just forget the whole thing happened. I see you. Oh, by the way, I don't have a boy anymore. 
Would you be my boy? He's got some brand new clothes at the house he's never wore. Would you come over and wear his clothes? He loves Doritos and chocolate peppermint ice cream. Hey, won't you come over to the house and eat some of his ice cream? You know, he just got a new car not long ago. And you know something? I'd like for you to have that new car that he bought. In fact, won't you just become my son since I don't have one anymore? Just come on over to my house and let's just live together. You know what that is? That's grace. Grace, thank you, Zach. Grace gives us what we do not deserve. Aren't you glad for grace? What a great Bible word. We didn't get vengeance. God said, you killed my son. Low down bunch of scumbags. I ought to kill you. Or at least haul you into court of the great white throne and judge you. But I tell you what, let's just forget the whole thing. Oh, by the way, <laughs> you killed my boy. Would you be my boy? Hey, would you come live with me forever? Would you like to enjoy everything that my boy has? Why don't you come over here and just live forever? You know what that's called? That's called grace. And that's what we got when we got saved. Grace. Mercy, I pray every day of my life, God have mercy on me. You know, most times because I stay in trouble all the time. God have mercy upon me. Don't give me what I deserve. I'm such a failure. I'm always in some kind of mess, some kind of old, some kind of old something that's my fault. I say, oh, God, have mercy. Don't give me what I deserve. And God said, I'm not only going to do that. I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. And God gives me grace. That's grace. Gospel, say it with me. Gospel, tithe. No, help me now. What's the G words? Ready? Look at this verse on grace right here. Look at this verse. Grace. No, no. Titus. <laughs> For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Aren't you glad? For grace. There's a third Bible word. Great Bible word that begins with the letter G. That's the word poof. Godly. Or godliness. Boy, that's a great Bible word. You, re, you know something? You really don't hear a whole lot about that anymore. But notice the sequence now. We have the gospel, something to believe. Grace, something to receive. But then godliness or God, godly is something to perceive. That's something we ought to be. Is God, if you've received grace, if you've heard the gospel and received grace, then we ought to be godly. Boy, you don't hear much about that anymore, do you? The word godly or godliness is found 30 times in the Bible. And both of those words come from the same Greek word. And it simply means this, God-likeness. Boy, we ought to be like God. Boy, I so, so, fall so far short of that. But we ought to be like God. I mean, our great desire is for people who name the name of Christ to be godly. Does that mean we're not going to sin? Oh, no. We're still failures, aren't we? We still mess up. Every day of our life, we still fall far short of what God intends for us to be, but there ought to be something on the inside of us that's pushing toward godliness. We ought to be godly. Look at these verses right under that Titus 2.11 verse. Look at this one right here. Teaching us for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Teaching us that denying what? Ungod. Anything that's not like God. 
denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live how? Soberly. Say it with me. Righteously. And what? Godly in this present world. Boy, the great need in these days is for people who name the name of Christ to live godly, to, to live godliness, to be like God. We were created in God's image. We were created like God. But the great desire of our heart ought to be, now that we're saved, is really to take on the characteristics of God. Be like God. Godliness. And then there's one final G word. We're done. It's 8 o'clock. But look at this last one. The last G word is this. Grow or growth. Something to achieve. Grace, the gospel, believe it. Grace, receive it. Godliness, perceive it. Grow or growth, that's something we ought to achieve. Now that we're saved, we ought to be growing in grace. It's okay when we come into God's family. Look at this verse right here. 1 Peter 2, 2 says this, as newborn babes. You know, when we first get saved, that's what we are. We come into God's family. You ever notice how babies make a mess? You ever notice that? I got some 30-year-old babies that still make messes, but... Babies make a big mess. That's okay. They're babies. They're knocking stuff over, dumping the Cheerios out on the floor. But can I tell you something? As newborn babes, we ought to do what? Desire the sincere, pure, unadulterated word of the living God. Why? That we may grow. There's that word. How do you grow? Getting a word. You know what's so sad? We got people been saved 45 years still on the passy. Don't we? Boy, I'll tell you what, if you don't pet them, if you don't pamper them, if you don't get everything just like they want it, they're going to throw a tantrum. You know what we all do? Pick them up and bust their hind ends, what we all do to them. They're babies. They're babes in Christ. Isn't it a sight to be saved for 35 years and still be in the spiritual nursery? Yes, sir. We grow. Look at this next verse. We grow. Ephesians 4, 15. We grow up into Him in all things. Well, we're growing now. We've left that infant stage. Now we're in that process of maturing and developing. We're growing up into Him. That's God's plan for us. God don't want... If, I, if y'all came in here tonight and I was up here and I said, all right, how many of y'all brought your Hot Wheels? And I was driving Hot Wheels all over the pulpit. You'd say, man, we always knew something was wrong with that guy. But now it's been proved He's playing Hot Wheels on the pulpit. You'd say, man, something's wrong with the preacher, man. He's lost his mind. Can I tell you something? It's something wrong with people who've been saved 45 years and they're still playing with Hot Wheels. And if you don't pet them and pamper them and make everything just like they wanted, just like they think that they need, and if you don't do that, then forget it, man. There's a price to pay for that. It's time to grow up into Him, in Him, into all things. And then look at this last verse, thinking about growth, and that's this one, 2 Peter 3. The Bible simply said, But grow in grace and in knowledge of, the Lord and, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now, forever. Amen. Say them with me. There's the word gospel, the word, the word, the word. Can I throw this one at you? What about the word glory? Glory. I, you know, used to in church when people get happy, they'd stand up and they'd say, glory. Glory is a place. 
Heaven in the Bible is called glory. It's a place. But it's also something that we should do with our bodies to God. We should glorify the Lord because He is the Lord of glory. That's a good G word. I just threw that one at you there and forget it. How about this one? Given. <laughs> we better quit on that one, hadn't we? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the words of the Bible.